Welcome to the Gaggle Podcast, where we talk about politics in Arizona and elsewhere. I'm Mary Jo Pitzel. I cover child welfare and state government issues for the Arizona Republic and AZ Central. Joining me this week are... Dustin Gardner. I cover the state legislature. Craig Harris. I'm an investigative reporter. Ryan Randazzo. I'm a business reporter. This week on The Gaggle, we're going to talk about issues that resonate in Arizona just as they are resonating nationwide. That would be guns and education. We'll start first by talking about some movement that Dustin Gardner is telling us is happening potentially at the state level on gun control of all things? Yeah, that's right. I mean, for years, any bills Democrats have sponsored to bring tighter restrictions to gun ownership in the state, those have gone nowhere. You know, there are 10 bills this year that got no hearings. Um, but there's actually some movement. Um, finally, um, from the governor's office, he's been meeting with folks um, about the gun issue. Um, this is He's meeting with teachers, Democrats, Republicans, law enforcement. Um, and then just this week, he announced during a radio interview that he's open to some sort of a law or wants to ask lawmakers to pass a law that would allow um, parents or police to petition a judge to take guns away from someone who is mentally ill or has a history of violence. Does a bill like that have any kind of support in the legislature, um, given their strong support for gun rights? Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting question. I spoke with House Speaker J.D. Mesnard, a conservative Republican, um, and, you know, er earlier this week after the governor, you know, made his announcement on the radio, Mesnard said that he's open to this conversation and he's glad to have a conversation about ways to keep students safer in school. Um, and he even said that he hopes this doesn't become a debate that's driven purely by ideology. The legislators have a job to do here. Um, but that said, you know, the legislature is very conservative. There's a lot of members who uh, toe a very conservative line on gun on gun legislation. In past years, they've only moved to, you know, loosen rules for gun owners. So it'll be an interesting fight. And it's quite a counterpoint to where the legislature has gone in recent years. In fact, I think the only um, gun rights bill that we've seen this year is one that would allow, that would get rid of rules in foster care for locking up uh, guns and ammunition, keeping them separate. That bill got one hearing and has disappeared off the radar, uh, presumably because people, people don't really like the idea of loosening gun controls in foster homes. So if we go the other direction on gun uh, some kind of gun safety, that would be quite the story. Yeah, I mean, it would be quite a turn. And that, you know, that bill had initially some support in, in the House. Um, but after the Parkland shooting and all this national momentum, and then the momentum locally with students, you know, planning the March for Our Lives rally in Phoenix, um, you know, just any effort to loosen gun rules seems to have evaporated. And the legislature is talking about um, moving the other direction. Uh, well, this is happening while we've, we've got marches going on. Um, I think even as we speak today, where students are walking out of classrooms, to protest uh, the lack of action on gun safety. Um, this comes a week after a big teacher strike ended in West Virginia, which seems to have energized even further education advocates here in Arizona who are pushing uh, the point that Arizona's teacher pay is quite low, even lower than that of West Virginia. Uh, Ryan, you took a look at some of the numbers on education funding. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about where the governor stands on that? And is there more money for education to be found in Arizona? Well, the governor's budget came out and he did propose, as he did last year, another 1% raise for teachers. That costs about $34 million to, to give them that 1%. There's also $100 million in his budget for discretionary spending. It's called additional assistance. The districts can choose to spend that as they like. 
Um, he and Speaker Mesnard have suggested that that should go towards raises if possible, but the districts say they can't spend that entire uh, $100 million on raises. Some of them have critical capital needs, leaking roofs, broken air conditioners that they can't get by without. So that's what he proposed. After his proposal, we got figures for the month of January where revenue continued to be strong for the state. It was $100 million over expectations according to the Joint Legislative Budget Committee. Ducey has said that he's already spent that money. He anticipated revenues being higher than JLBC did in the first place. And Craig, um, in this context of education, you've been looking at the campaigns that are already ramping up to uh, perhaps uh, send out a message that things aren't as bad in Arizona as these protesting teachers might uh, portray. Tell us a little bit about what you learned. Well, there's business groups that are very uh, close with the governor and are allies of his. They have formed a nonprofit organization, and they've spent well over a million dollars on TV ads. And you've probably seen them. They're, they're now in their third different ad. Uh, talking about uh, things aren't as bad as uh, some people might say. They talk about, well, there's been another $1.5 billion in funding, um, and they get like testimonials from teachers about being optimistic. And so they're trying to blunt the criticism that is gone on by teachers who have actually protested uh, the governor's uh, most recent weekly radio appearance on a local radio, radio show and have come and made marches at the Capitol and, and have gotten out on their Red for Ed campaign that is gaining a lot of momentum. And so these ads are trying to buttress that uh, message that things aren't really as bad as uh, some people might say they are. Well, folks, um, are things as bad as some of these teachers say? Well, it depends on what you say. I mean, if you like being the worst paid in the country, then I guess they're not that bad. Um, but it depends on how you want to count. You know, some folks say teachers are the 50th or 49th, and some argue, well, it's not that bad, they're 46. Well, you know, that's like saying our football team doesn't stink. They're not 0-16. They're really only 1-15. So it's all semantics of what you want to do. And what you're seeing is teachers are leaving in droves. Teachers are leaving to go to other states or they're leaving the profession. And you're not – and you have over a 1,000 unqualified teachers that are in the classrooms right now because there's such a shortage of teachers here in Arizona. So, Ryan, as you've looked at the numbers, then is there room, um, given this cheerier economic forecast, for more money in education this year? And what's the governor's plan on that? Well, the governor, um, his staff is saying they're standing by the budget that they released in January. Yes, revenues have come in better than expected since then, but they don't plan on on. Uh, amending the budget thanks to higher revenues. We still have a few more months in the fiscal year. So right now the budget is $245 million about better than it was expected to be. And we still have a few months of revenue collection. So we could end the year, you know, $300 million ahead of what the JLBC forecast, but the governor staff is saying that they're not going to amend their uh, uh, budget figures. Dustin, um, you spend almost all your time out at the legislature. Do you get a sense that these protests um, and these complaints about education funding are getting any traction with lawmakers? Is, is there the prospect of something happening even as they're debating expanding voucher bills, um, even as they're debating tax cuts? I think that's what's interesting about this Red for Ed movement. You know, we've had movements to improve education in the state for a while. You know, there was the Save Our Schools movement that rose up last year. But this movement really seems to have caught on quickly in a short amount of time. And it was only a few weeks ago that this popped up on social media, um, this Red for Ed campaign. Um, and then, you know, with, you know, within two weeks, you've got hundreds of people outside the governor's radio interview that Craig mentioned, chanting and kind of putting the governor on the hot seat. 
um, as he's being interviewed. Um, and they're, they're showing up in a lot of hearings, um, you know, a lot of education bills that aren't, you know, directly related to what they're wanting. They're making appearances, and it does seem to be having an effect. Um, you know, whether that, you know, it's enough to change where the Republican majority would head on this, if they will still side with the governor's budget, I don't know. But it does seem like there's a very grassroots energy that is starting to take hold here. I will add that I heard just this morning that um, the legislation sponsored by Representative Doug Coleman and Senator Kate Brophy-McGee to allow um, an extension of the six-tenths of a cent sales tax for education, those bills were stalled. Now um, they've been liberated, I guess, to move forward. And if they're successful, it would be the legislature approving an extension of this sales tax that is ex- uh, slated to expire in three years. Um, I think that that's probably a sign that some of these protests are making an impact. Um, but does extending a six-tenths of a cent sales tax get you where you need to be on education? I think it gets it just maintains the status quo. It's not a tax increase. It's just an extension of money that's coming in. Um, if you were making $1,000 a week or $500 a week and you still made that same amount of money going forward because your employer was able to sell enough widgets, well, you didn't get a raise. You just were able to keep the same amount of money that you were making. Um, by extending this tax, you're not getting any new revenue. It's an extension of what already is coming in. And so it's not really a tax increase. It's, it's, a, it's a sustaining of a tax that's already on the books. And well, part of the thinking on that seems to have been that Republicans didn't want a, a tax increase in a year when many of them are on the ballot. But the fact that this is getting traction now seems, you know, maybe that's an indicator that some of this this movement is having an effect. And Craig, I see your point about this perhaps not being a tax increase, but historical note, I covered the campaign in 2012 on Proposition 204, which proposed extending the penny sales tax that Jam Brewer had championed for schools. It was a three-year tax. It was about ready to expire. Um, A bunch of groups got together and said, let's keep it going. And the opposition, the successful opposition to that uh, measure was led by none other than Doug Ducey, who argued that the extension was uh, indeed an increase. So this could put him perhaps in an interesting position. Well, the governor also has his son in private school. So there's also a big difference on where you are seeing what's really going on. When you are able to afford to put your child in a, in a very nice private school, there's a big difference on what you might see where other parent, parents who don't have those options are seen in the classroom and, and talking to teachers who don't have the benefit of teaching at an elite private school. So there is a big difference on what most people can see with public education and what some folks who have the ability to put their kid in private school and what were they might see there's not as big of a problem. So um, I thought we go around the horn here. Do you folks see, is the governor vulnerable on education as he faces uh, re-election this year? Well, I think there might be some cases that the governor is vulnerable on education. Otherwise, you wouldn't have business groups spending over a million dollars. It's only mid-March. And if they're going to keep opening up their wallets and keep spending money for a independent campaign expenditure, um, there must be something to show that there is some vulnerability. Otherwise, the friends of the governor would not be spending a lot of money to try to portray an image that education is okay. So I think that is an issue. And you have to look at the folks who went out and got the issue on the ballot to repeal the voucher system, those are typical suburban 
soccer moms who typically would be in the Republican camp and would be typically supporters of Republicans and the governor. So it is a bit of a, a turn on him of the folks who have put that on the ballot. And a lot of the attention to this issue is coming in areas, you know, we're like we're looking in like Ahwatukee, Chandler, you know, teachers that are in the East Valley, North Central Phoenix. That's a lot of attention where this attention is coming from. And those are voters, you know, are people that often aren't hardline Republicans. They're people that might not have voted for Trump. And I think the governor's people are probably looking at that and worried, you know, if there is some sort of blue wave this year and education becomes an issue, does he start to lose some of those suburban districts? And Ryan, I know you've been looking at the budget and I know the governor has said that, look, we need, we also have needs in other areas like uh, specifically public safety, which would be perhaps DPS and corrections, as well as child safety. Uh, so the question it appears as they go into budget talks is, is there enough money to spread around to those other areas or will the state focus on education because it's such a hot bubbling issue right now? Any thoughts on whether any of these proposals for more money for roads, for corrections, for Department of Child Safety might go anywhere? Well, I think it's all going to get a second look um, and probably be more contentious than it would have been otherwise without the teacher protests and the, the red for ed. You had asked earlier, you know, our lawmakers feeling the pressure or hearing this, and I have to share with you, I was at a meeting this morning at the Capitol. It was over uh, coal mining taxes. And the meeting I was in was being almost shouted down by an education-related bill being heard in the next room where there were dozens of educators. So, I mean, it's definitely uh, sort of taken over the Capitol. There were dozens of folks in red shirts outside on the lawn before I went in. There were dozens more in the meeting rooms. So I think uh, if that's any kind of precursor to what we're going to hear in budget discussions, you, sh you should expect the education uh, industry there to, to have a pretty strong presence. Boy, it's going to make for an interesting end of the session and a, a fascinating election year. Before we wrap for this week, um, I wanted to check in and see what public records are you waiting for? Um, well, since it's Sunshine Week, I'll talk about one that um, the House has been stalling on. We're still trying to get records related to the Don Shooter sexual harassment investigation. Um, the House released an 82-page report that substantiated allegations that Shooter had har harassed multiple women. They, ha they have, however, not released any records that are that support that investigation, any you know interview notes, um, audio recordings, none of those things have been released. House Speaker J.D. Mesnard has argued that part of the reason they're doing that is because there were confidential witnesses that spoke with investigators, you know, with, with an expectation their name wouldn't be released. Um, and I think part of, you know, the Republic is pushing for some of these records. Republican lawmakers are, several of them anyway are. And I think uh, part of our argument is that, you know, if, if they need to re redact certain names, they can do that. But that's not a justification for withholding this, you know, a known amount of records. Craig, what's your Sunshine Week wish? Well, the Ducey administration, once again, is stonewalling us on the release of how much they're paying highly uh, paid uh, executives within state government. They're also refusing to release uh, documents related to how much they've spent on their lien initiative. And we're those, that's been almost a month and a half. And we're also waiting, uh, almost going on a year now on records relating for, uh, once again, supporting documentation to show uh, state employees who have engaged in bad behavior. And they have uh, the Department of Administration and Megan Rose has refused to release those records also. I don't have uh, 
a great records request out, but I would just love for uh, Sonny Borelli to give me a call back. He introduced a striker that seems like it would uh, benefit APS greatly if um, this ballot initiative passes that would require them to use more renewable energy. He seems to give the utility an out, and uh, I've been trying to reach him over that. Great. Sonny Borelli, if you're listening, um, you can reach Ryan at 602-444-8000. They'll they'll patch you through to him. Um, For myself, um, I um, am waiting for the Department of Child Safety to fulfill the rest of a records request I made about this uh, little-known list they keep called the Central Registry, which lists people who have been um, found to have had substantiated complaints of child abuse and neglect. Uh, Let's hope that before Sunshine Week is out, I'll get that information. That's it for today. Thank you for listening to the Gaggle Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Mary J. Pitzel. I'm at Dustin Gardner, and that's G-A-R-D-I-N-E-R. I'm at C. Harris, A-Z-R-U-P. This is Ryan, and I'm at Utility Reporter. Thanks to the politics team and also our producers, Haley Sanchez and Nick Serpa. Please subscribe to the show and review it on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Google Play. See you next week.